Well, we are walking the vitality pathway together because we want to become a church that is both healthy and missional. Healthy means pursuing Christ. Missional means pursuing Christ's ways on earth. The vitality pathway has in it clear markers for what a healthy and missional church looks like. Thus far, we have presented five of these markers. A healthy and missional church has as its core the centrality of the Word of God. And by Word of God, we certainly mean Jesus Christ, who is God's ultimate Word, the Logos in Greek in John chapter 1. And we also mean the Holy Bible, God's Word to us about His Son, Jesus, and about us and our life together as we live on the earth. The icon that was chosen for this particular mark is the Son, the S-U-N. Jesus is the light of the world, and he's the Son, S-O-N. The Bible is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. The centrality of the Scriptures, the Word of God. The second mark of a healthy and missional church is a life-transforming walk with Jesus. The icon is a leaf that takes from the sun its light, and internally it receives it, and it is nourished by that light. So we too take nourishment from the Son, Jesus, and the relationship we have with Him, and we become vital personally, internally, through our whole being because of Him. When we short-circuit Him, we cut off the life that He intends for us. When we allow Him fully to reign, we experience a life-transforming walk with Him. The third mark of a healthy and missional church is an intentional and engaging witness. God's intended result for us is to be witnesses, that is, examples of his son Jesus. Sometimes we use words, we're meant to, but we're meant to have a life that shows what Jesus is like vitally in us as we live from day to day. The icon happens to be a microphone showing the intention of spreading the good news about Jesus Christ. It is good news by all of us and each of us by being good news people. What a concept. If we were all good news, and I think there's a good chance that happens, what an impact we have on our world, on our neighborhood, on our region, and on the world together. Because Jesus lives in us, we become intentional, engaging witnesses of him. The fourth mark of a healthy and missional church is a compelling Christian community. The icon is a network symbol. We is the key word to this mark. We may be individuals, but we are connected with one another for a mutual witness in the world. It's the witness of our community, this place, each of us together as the family of God. The fifth mark last Sunday of a healthy and missional church is heartfelt worship. The icon is a crown. For Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Together we respond to his mercy in our lives with gratitude, honor, and praise to him. We look up and we look inward because he dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. And this morning we identify the sixth mark, which is that last phrase that I used. The sixth mark of a healthy and missional church is a global, global perspective and engagement but the title doesn't really give the heart of what that looks like or how it comes. The icon is a flame. 
Reminds me of the burning bush. The burning bush would just have been an ordinary bush if it hadn't been on fire and not burned up. We are just ordinary people. And unless we're on fire, we will be nothing more than ordinary people who have a religion. But we're meant to be on fire and not burned up, but really overwhelmed with the presence of God in us by the Holy Spirit. And that will give to us the global perspective and engagement. The text for today is Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. We will allude to some Old Testament parts, but they'll only be allusions that we, lead, that we look at just briefly. But this is the text I want us to develop out of this message this morning. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and I read, Then the disciples gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to rescue the kingdom of Israel or restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus reveals to his disciples what's about to happen. They will receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power. They will be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, they will be Jesus' witnesses in their neighborhood, in their region, and around the world. We're going to look at that just a little bit and unpack those last phrases just a moment. Jesus' witnesses in their neighborhood, which was Jerusalem. You find that in Acts 2 through Acts 7. The happenings in Jerusalem... The disciples believed and were given the Holy Spirit. Pentecost takes place. 3,000 people believe in Jesus and are baptized. That was a significant birthing of the church. Peter and John later are imprisoned by the Jewish authorities because they taught that Jesus was raised from the dead. That That made no sense to them. So they disbelieved it and they imprisoned them. Later they were released. There was a great spirit of generosity in that early church. People were also hypocritic, and there was fraud that went on. Some of the church members lied about their real commitment to what God was doing. Persecution from the Jewish community and its leadership intensified. Meanwhile, the church organizes to take care of people that have been overlooked in the distribution of food. Deacons are chosen to make sure that no one is overlooked, that everyone receives the care of God. Persecution continues to mount. The leadership against them grows stronger. One of the deacons, Stephen, is martyred. A young zealot named Saul emerges as the go-to guy to remove this Christ-following group from the face of the earth. Persecution becomes so ramped up that many of the Jerusalem church get out of town, not just for a vacation, not just for a week or two, but permanently leave Jerusalem and relocate outside of the city into all Judea and Samaria. They weren't going quick enough, so God's allowing things to happen, so they will move out and become witnesses in Judea and Samaria, in the region. In Acts 8 through the middle of Acts 11, we follow the events that helped shape the church as they relocate outside the mother city. 
Philip, also a deacon, whose best friend has been killed, goes out of Jerusalem, moves to the region of Samaria, just north of Jerusalem, and is a, that's a place many devout Jews would never venture because they were seen as half-breeds, and they were dismissed, removed from their thought life. But the Samaritans respond positively to the work of Philip, and they receive Jesus as the Messiah. The apostles Peter and John are sent by the church in Jerusalem to check out what they are hearing about Samaria. They pray over these new converts, and the Holy Spirit comes on them just as he came upon the people who were Jewish in Jerusalem. His spirit power is poured out in their lives. It's an amazing thing. First it was Jews only, now it's Jews and half-breed Samaritans. Those who had given over to the Hellenistic occupation years and years before are now included. The circle's getting larger. Saul continues to persecute the church. He travels outside of Jerusalem now to arrest them. And while on a trip to Damascus, is confronted by Jesus in Acts 9. He's made blind, literally. But that's done to help him see how blind he is to the reality of who Jesus is. Saul believes. He surrenders his life to Jesus as the promised Messiah. And God changes his name from Saul to Paul. We know him as the great evangelist, the Apostle Paul. Next, we find God bringing the Apostle Peter to the centurion in Cornelius in uh, Caesarea Maritima. That's the Caesarea that's on the coast. There's another Caesarea in the highlands where the headwaters of the Jordan River is. This is Caesarea on the coast, the headquarters of the Roman Empire in all of Israel. Cornelius and his Gentile household received Jesus Christ in Acts 10. The Holy Spirit is now given to them. They experience the same indwelling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So we have the Jews in Jerusalem, the Samaritans outside of Jerusalem, and now the Gentiles at the headquarters of the Roman Empire in the Middle East. Though Paul, a former fierce persecutor, is now a part of the church, persecution continues. And Jesus' witness goes global. In Acts eleven nineteen and on to the end of that whole book, the scattering of the church is now more than merely outside of Jerusalem. They have left and gone to places like Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch of Syria, far north and west of Judea. The Mediterranean basin gets these young believers in Jesus moving into the area. Do you see what God is doing? It's God who has a global perspective. It's God who wants to engage the whole world with the good news of life. It's God who wants to fulfill the promise to Abram that was made when he said, I will bless you, I will so bless you, you won't be able to handle that. This is a, my translation of the text. I will so bless you, you won't be able to handle it. The whole world will be blessed through you. That's not just to say Jesus will come from your line. That's to say, literally, the whole world will be blessed. And it's happening. And the book of Acts records it for us. Back in Jerusalem, the persecution continues. James the apostle is martyred at the hand of King Herod Agrippa. Peter the apostle is imprisoned by the same king, but then is miraculously freed. Though it was Peter whom God used to bring the full gospel to the Gentiles, now the Holy Spirit calls and empowers Paul to bring that gospel to the Gentile world, and the missionary journeys begin. Three of them, but not just three. 
Just three that we know of Paul went on. But Paul's original partner and another friend, Silas, they go and take missionary journeys too. It's not recorded in Acts, but there's at least two mission teams going throughout the Mediterranean basin, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That first mission trip is in Acts 13. They go to Cyprus and then to Asia Minor, which is today the country of Turkey. Gentiles are believing in Jesus as the Son of God. Thank God for us. How many Jews are here? Anybody Jewish? There may be one or two. If that hadn't exploded and gone to the Gentile world, we'd probably all still be sleeping. Or doing something. But not this. We might have had a religion but not a relationship. God has a global perspective. And we are fortunate to be born and raised in a time where that global perspective is experienced. We wouldn't have it if he hadn't done this in the book of Acts. Thank God for God. (laughs) Thank God for God. The faith of Jewish people who've received Jesus as the Messiah is changing because non-Jewish people are being included or they were never included before. Or if they were, they had to become first like Jews. Circumcision, Ten Commandments, sacrifices, all the festivals, all that. They had to do everything that the Jewish community did to be a part of it. What was originally a homogeneous group of people related to Abraham and Moses is now becoming seriously diverse. What should be required of these new people? Good question. What traditions need to be kept and practiced? Good question. There was a transition going on. Sound familiar? Transition? It happens. Things change during transition times. These questions and many others were being pondered and discussed. The church needed to deal with these issues. These concerns needed to be addressed. These questions needed needed an answer. And a council was called in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. Listen to what Peter had to say. God accepted the Gentiles, just as he had the Samaritans and Jews before him. That acceptance is revealed in the giving of the Holy Spirit. How should we do anything different than what God has chosen to do? In Acts 2, the apostles and early converts received the Spirit and its power. In Acts 8, the Holy Spirit is given to the Samaritans. They receive the Spirit and His power. The Holy Spirit in Acts 10 is given to the Gentile converts, beginning with Cornelius. They receive the Holy Spirit and His power. There is no distinction any longer. There are no boxes to put people in and the Holy Spirit not in. Everyone is included in the possibility. This is not universalism. This is God's openness to include any who will come and believe in him. God has done this. Consequently, if God accepts them by faith, why should we place hoops on people to jump through in order to achieve a relationship with God? To have a global perspective and engagement certainly happened in the early church. And this was most clearly the work of God in them, namely by the Holy Spirit. It is God 
who has a global perspective. Hang on to that. It is God who engages all people for a genuine relationship with him. Hang on to that. It's because he loves all. Key word, all. Best word, love. He loves all. God wants all people to know who he really is. God wants all people to have a genuine relationship with him. Remember, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes, from John 3, 16. God wants us back. God wants everybody in Berlin back, in Cromwell back, in Farmington back, in Kensington back, and on we, in Connecticut back, in the United States back, everywhere across the world. God wants all of his created people back to himself, all of them. It's a mission to the whole world, and it's based on God's own passion and the power of the Holy Spirit. The challenge here is not about the message he gives. The message is clear, it is sound, and it is winsome. The challenge is the power God intends for us to have. And my question is to myself and all of you, are we really powered up? Are we? Is the Holy Spirit free to occupy and direct our lives to engage people for Jesus wherever we are, in our neighborhood, in our region, to the ends of the earth? You see, the the teaching from Acts chapter 1 usually just focuses in on where we're to be missionaries. But we miss the point of the text if we don't focus in more importantly on the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. If it's just a matter of a strategic plan, we miss the engagement with God himself personally and as a corporate body to accomplish the strategic plan. For it's only by the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, who has the global perspective and engagement ability in us to accomplish the strategic plan. Max Lucado is a fav- favorite author of mine. Many, many books, and one book, God Came Near, published a long time ago when some of you hadn't been born yet. And on page five, he tells the story about a New Year's Day uh, Tournament of Roses parade. Some of you probably watch the Tournament of Roses parade every year because the floats are beautiful. I've been fortunate to be at three different Tournament of Roses parades in Pasadena, California, because I was going to go to the football games that happened afterwards, and we got there early enough to go to the parade. They're gorgeous. It's incredible to see all these flowers and other organic products put together to create such fabulous beauty driving down the street. The beautiful float that was going down the parade all of a sudden sputtered and quit one year. It ran out of gas. Not a good thing. Somebody was in trouble. The whole parade was held up until someone could get a can of gas. The amusing thing was that this float represented the Standard Oil Company. (laughs) It has vast resources at its fingertips. Its truck was out of gas. And Max writes this, Often... Christians neglect their spiritual maintenance 
and though they are, quote, clothed with power, end quote, find themselves out of gas. God wants us powered up. It requires maintenance on our part. It requires requires putting ourselves in places where God's power is most frequently distributed. Powerless Christians may want to have a global perspective and engagement, but it will be nothing more than good intentions. It will yield no significant results unless it's empowered completely by the Holy Spirit within us. Let me illustrate. This is a great popcorn machine. We have had so much popcorn out of this. We've had this for at least 10, 12 years. And our grandkids think Grammy's popcorn is the best in the world. This is a marvelous machine. This is great extra virgin olive oil. It works wonders in this machine to cause Orville Redenbacher to be his finest. Now, I would like to do a little experiment here to see how we can do with some popcorn. Just put a little bit of oil. doesn't need much. That's enough. And for this experiment, we won't do a lot of popcorn because I know you'll all be coming to the front after the service. Just a little. Now... Let's have popcorn. Okay, come on. Come on. What's the problem? I got a cord. But it's not plugged in here and it's not plugged in to a socket. There's a problem. How many Christians have lives just like this? Everything is available for them. All the oil, all the popcorn, all of the machinery in order to make great popcorn for other people to enjoy. They may even have themselves a wonderful cord. In my Psychology 101 class in college, my professor described dependent people as people who have their umbilical cord out trying to find a place to plug it in. And there are lots of religious people who have their cord plugged in, but it's not plugged into the power in order to operate fully like the Holy Spirit intends for us to operate. We need the power. We need the power. And God has made it available to us. Are you hungry for the power? Not the power over people, but the power to be God's person. Not the power to control people, but the power to love, to forgive, to bless, to care, to offer help to those who are in need, to be patient with those who are just lost and confused, to be God's person in a situation for his good and his good for them. That kind of power. We need to be plugged into the Holy Spirit's power. Jesus redeemed us, not just to redeem us, but to power us up with the Holy Spirit. The redemption makes it possible for us to be cleaned out so there's room for the Holy Spirit to work. Then he sends us, and that becomes an adventure. Some of you know about it. You've been on a mission trip. I have been all over the world on mission trips, 
Nothing has empowered me more than being involved in offering care for people, in connecting to people, and discovering the Spirit of God all across the world, not just in my community. But I also find there are people who go on mission trips but don't really let the Holy Spirit empower them because when they come home, they're not on fire for their neighbors. They're not on fire for their city they live in. They're not on fire for the world other than on a mission trip. Not long ago in a devotion by Oswald Chambers, the point was to be present and expecting God to enter into our lives, but not in some predictable way. Don't limit God on how he can power us up. Let him have his way. And Chambers wrote, quote, leave room for God to come as he decides, end quote. Have you held God back on what he wants to do in you? Have you let him fully do what he wants in your life? Have you let him power you up in ways that kind of are scary? Do you let him have his way, really? I'd invite you this morning for prayer with me after the service. If you'd like to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, if you really want him to come, in every way he wants to come. If you would take down any barriers that you have put up in his way so that he can do his full work in you and me. Now, there'll be other prayers going on. Stephen ministers will be available just outside Pastor Diane's office. This is Pastor Diane Day. Tuesday, she has a hip replaced, so, excuse me, a knee replaced. Got the right part now. Knee replaced. <laughs> Mark it. Put no here and put yes here. Um, I did that when I did my first hip. <laughs> so just outside Diane's office, which is the first door to the right as you leave the sanctuary, if you'd like prayer for yourself from a Stephen minister, that's where you need to go. But also there's going to be lots of refreshments today, just blessing Diane, getting her all ready for this surgery coming on Tuesday. But if you'd like prayer first to have the Holy Spirit fully empowered in your life, if you would like to empty the barriers that are in you, I'd invite you to do that when the service is over in just a few moments. It is the Holy Spirit's power in us that will trigger the global perspective and engagement. Thus, the flame that we get on fire. That we, like that bush, bush that Moses saw that called him to care for the children of Israel and bring them out of slavery in Egypt, so the fire can come to us, will not burn us up, but will give us a sizzle that will allow us to bring the gospel of Christ to the people in our world that we live near and by. I would like to have us do a closing song, but I don't want us to sing it. I'll tell you why. The music might take away the depth of meaning of the lyrics. So I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to remain seated. And I'd like to do God Whose Purpose is to Kindle as a responsive reading. Join me. It'll be on the screen. God Whose Purpose is to Kindle. While the earth awaits your burning... Overcome our sinful calmness. Baptize with your fiery spirit. 
God who still a sword delivers. With your sharpened word, disturb us. Save us now from satisfaction. Yet are undisturbed in spirit. Yet are undisturbed in spirit. Repeat after me. Yet are undisturbed in spirit by our neighbor's misery. Is it stuck? Okay, I'll, have you, I'll say a line, then I'll ask you to repeat after me. Here's the line. God, who in our holy gospel wills that all should truly live. Make us sense our share of failure, our tranquility forgive. Teach us courage as we struggle in all liberating strife. It came back. The evil one does not want us to catch the meaning of these words. He loses. Lift the smallness of our vision. May his abundant life power us up so that we can infect this world with the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. John Stott, an Anglican priest and well-respected evangelical who died a few years ago, I was privileged to hear in person a couple of times at midwinters of the Evangelical Covenant Church. And I recall the story he told interviewing candidates for ordination. The archbishop asked this candidate, tell me how you see your ministry in the years ahead. The candidate responded, I will probably not set the River Thames on fire. To which the archbishop responded, young man, I'm not so concerned about you setting the River Thames on fire. However, if we dipped you in the River Thames, would you sizzle? Do you sizzle? Do you sizzle? May the Holy Spirit bring his sizzle to our lives today and always. As you go today, go in power and engage the world you live in with Jesus the Christ by the Holy Spirit who is fully in you. Go in peace and power. Amen.